0: What's going on, everybody? Nathan King here from the Auburn Undercover Podcast. Wanted to just remind everybody about one of our great sponsors here on the 24-7 Sports Network, and that is Home Field Apparel. What is Home Field Apparel? You guys, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis that produces incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs like Auburn and all of their great logos and designs um, that they've had throughout their history, Homefield digs through the archives and history of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments to make thoughtful designs for your school. Obviously, one of their most popular collections is the Auburn collection now, now over 20 pieces in total on their site, homefieldapparel.com. If you guys were anywhere on social media, you, you were part of the Peacock movement. Um, if you're an Auburn fan of the Auburn basketball season, they've got a great Peacock shirt and Peacock hoodie that says Auburn Hoops, easily my favorite design of theirs. Um, it's a great, great piece of uh, piece of work for an Auburn fan to pick up to commemorate this basketball season. You guys can still get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com with the code Auburn Undercover. That's all caps, all one word, Auburn Undercover. Please go check it out. You guys love their product, have loved it for a really long time. If you guys have been anywhere in the world of college athletics in the past couple of years in terms of social media, like I talked about, They have been phenomenal. They've done a really good job of branding themselves and they back it up with a great product. And Auburn is one of their biggest sellers, like that new peacock uh, jacket I was just telling you guys about. So be sure to go pick that up. Get 15% off your first purchase. Again, promo code, all caps, Auburn Undercover at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. Here on the Auburn Undercover Podcast, we are proud to be partnered with Prime Shrimp, a New Orleans-based shrimp company, to offer our listeners some delicious, easy-to-cook shrimp in just minutes. These guys have been peeling shrimp since the 40s, and they are excited to offer you guys restaurant-quality shrimp straight to your door. In under 10 minutes, without the usual mess and fuss, take the frozen pouch out of your freezer, drop it in a pot of boiling water, and again, it's ready to serve however you want it in 10 minutes, you guys can head over to PrimeShrimp.com And with promo code Auburn 24 seven, all caps, all one word, you can get $20 off your first order. Again, that's code Auburn 24 seven, all caps, all one word for $20 off your first order. If you don't love it, get your money back. Their flavors include signature season, French quarter, Alfredo, garlic, herb, butter, and the Louisiana shrimp boil, which is personally my favorite. I'll tell you guys what I've done three or four times. Grab a loaf of French bread. Bake it until it's crispy. Get some lettuce, whatever other toppings you want. Stuff some Louisiana shrimp boil in there, and get yourself a po' boy. It is absurdly good. Get you some frozen French fries. Pop them in the oven while you're making it, and it's super easy, super tasty seafood meal in like 20 minutes. By the time you're done with everything, remember, guys, use code Auburn twenty four seven. All one word, all caps. Twenty dollars off your first purchase at PrimeShrimp.com. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody! Another edition here of the Auburn Undercover Podcast on the Twenty Four Seven Sports Network. My name is Nathan King. Hope everybody is having a good week. Obviously, we're getting closer to the start of fall camp for Auburn football. You're probably listening um, to this on Wednesday morning, so it'll be next Thursday. Things get rolling here on the plains. Also, Big Cat Weekend is coming up, so plenty of football news to go around. But we still have to finish out our uh, our season preview. We've obviously been going through and um, you know talking to every. Somebody who's covers every team that's on Auburn's schedule. We are now in the home stretch in the last fourth of Auburn's uh, regular season. We're now at uh, week 11. Obviously last one was Mississippi State. We are now on to week 11, a home game for Auburn against Texas A&M. Uh, a brief losing streak for for Auburn over the past two seasons. They haven't been able to get over the Aggies last year in College Station is when the offense kind of face planted. Uh, neither team scored an offensive touchdown, but Texas A&M was able to come out on top there. Twenty to three, and plenty of interesting storylines with the Aggies this season. So we bring in Mr. Jeff Harpley from Giggum Twenty Four Seven, and uh, and Jeffy, you know, I, I I asked Jimbo Fisher a couple of questions last week about Zach Calzada at uh, at SEC Media Days, and uh, I don't know if he's always like this, but it seems like he is pretty comfortable with what he's got um, this season. People always talk about oh. Kirby Smart is, you know, seems like he's really relaxed. That means Georgia's going to be good. Or Nick Saban is, is you know, you know, super comfortable. That means Alabama's going to be good. Just kind of what, what sort of read do you have on on what the vibes are from from Jimbo Fisher and the rest of the program on on what their expectations are going to be this season?
1: The vibes going into the season, I think A and M understands that going off of what happened last year, uh, it has to win ten games uh, in in twenty twenty two. The eight and four record. From 2021, it wasn't what was expected, especially with AM being a top five team going to the Arkansas game last year. Again, just too many injuries across the board. It wasn't just the fact that Haynes King, who was slated to be the starting quarterback, went down. Am had to plug in Cal- Zach calzada as a backup, but there were just a lot of injuries and, a&- and and also late in the year Am had to go on the road against Ole Miss had to go on the road against LSU. So as a result, the eight and four was a disappointment by, you know, everybody's measurement. So from that perspective, A&M understands and Fisher understands that they need to have that type of 10-win season this year that they were supposed to have last year.
0: Before we get into what happened last season with Texas a and I, I want to hit on this, of course, because there's a, in, in my opinion, probably 85% chance that he'll be Auburn's starting quarterback um, this season. Just your impressions of Zach Calzada from last year in those 10 starts um, that he had for the Aggies. You know, we talked about SEC media days. Jimbo Fisher, obviously, was super complimentary of him and a couple of his teammates saying, you know, he handled that situation really the best that he could. If you look at some of the numbers, he got better as the season went along. Obviously, the, the, the highlight was that Alabama performance. Just what were your thoughts on what he did overall last season and, and the, the kind of player you think he can be if he becomes Auburn's starting quarterback, which kind of feels like the, that's the way it's leaning right now,
1: the way I've summer the way I've summarized him is that he wasn't capable of elema, ele, elevating his teammates, but his teammates weren't capable of elevating him either, and. And we get caught up in wanting the quarterback to put the entire load on his shoulders, and he just wasn't good enough to do that last season. Part Some of that was just experience, but also some of that was A&M had enormous number of injuries last year. Uh, they had 15 players who were had started at least one game go down, and that, in all I think you – know, hundred player games that they lost. Uh, they started five different offensive line combinations, five straight weeks. They, by the end of the year, they had two backups and an injured Aniah Smith starting at receiver. So I think he tried to do the best with what he had. I also don't think uh, that his, prote- you know, his protection wasn't as good as what it needed to be. Uh, the receiving core had a lot of drops and him ranked, near the bottom of the SEC, both in terms of uh, protection efficiency per pro football focus and also in terms of the number of drops. So he didn't get a lot of help in that regard. But also, when he needed to make plays and sustain drives, he could make some of the difficult one, <laughs> difficult throws, but he couldn't always make the throws that, you know, just kind of the down-to-down throws needed to get A&M over the hump offensively. And as a result, while A&M could do some things, especially in the Alabama game, and they fought through all those injuries to actually come from behind against LSU on the road, put points on the board against what, by the end of the year, was a very good LSU defense, just wasn't good enough to be more than that. Now, whether he'll be able to be more than that at Auburn He's going to have to have a, a better surrounding cast at Auburn in 2022 than what he had last year in 2021. But in particular, you need to watch for one thing. In that Alabama game, A&M suspended Jameer Johnson, who was a starting left tackle, and they shifted Kenyon Green, who wound up going in the first round of the NFL draft, to that left tackle spot. Calzada had a bad habit of feeling pressure, real, imagined, however you want to describe it from that left side all season long and bailing early or maybe moving out to the right earlier than what he should have. The Alabama game, he hung in the pocket more so than any other game, probably with the exception of the LSU game in the the last contest of the year. And that's because he had Kenyon Green over there on his left side, and Kenyon Green didn't allow any pressures in that game. Uh, The rest of the season, Jameer Johnson was one of the lowest-rated tackles in the sec in terms of allowing pressure so i think what it's going to come down to him is his teammates are going to have to be better than what they were in 2021 and i haven't looked at auburn yet closely enough to know if that's the case or not but i think it's going to come down to what kind of protection that he receives at that left tackle spot that's going to dictate how he plays this season
0: Yeah, well, for one thing, they're going to have a new starting left tackle. Um, A guy named Killian Zaire, who's a Juco guy, started a few games last season, but really just overall doesn't have a ton of experience. Seems like he has a a high upside. So I I can feel some Auburn fans listening to what you just talked about and maybe getting a little bit nervous because offensive line has not exactly been their forte um, the last few seasons, but we'll we'll see how that plays out. Um, So now getting on the subject of the Aggies, and we've done this, i was telling you before we started, almost every person we've had on here previewing auburn schedule i mean there's a ton of quarterback competition in the scc none smaller than texas a&m they've got a great quarterback battle it to me from the outside it seems like a true three-man competition you've got max johnson who has the experience um actually through the game-winning touchdown pass against texas a&m last year you've got haynes king who has the boost of hey he was the starter last season before he got injured and then you've got a five-star carter wegman so in in your mind right now, as you know, probably heading in fall camp for you guys next week, um, as well, is this a true three man race? Do you see anybody with a possible edge in you know, heading into fall camp? And what are you kind of looking for from that position group in fall camp?
1: I, I think for each of them, one of them has to be able to make strides in an area that they probably displayed. Some, I wouldn't say weaknesses necessarily, but they just have to improve at. Uh, in order to win that starting job. For Wigman, I think the big thing is he has to continue to show the poise uh, that he played with in the spring. He really impressed people with how he handled everything when he stepped on the field and and in scrimmage-type situations and even the spring game. The moments weren't too big for him. I think he's got to be able to continue that. However, one of the things that's going to be working against him is that if you feel like you, you you need to win 10 games this year that you really have to make some kind of a push for the CFP there's going to be you know there's going to there's going to be some learning moments teaching moments excuse me along the way and that always happens with a freshman how you know can you start him and and get to 10 wins and he i think he's going to have to prove that he's going to be a little ahead of the curve in that regard in fall camp and either to win the job in fall camp or to eventually move into that job during the season. I think for Haynes King, he's got to be more consistent in his footwork and his delivery and his processing. Uh, If he can avoid the processing issues that have caused him to throw interceptions in the past, if he can be consistent down to down in terms of his velocity which for him is a key because he doesn't have the arm necessarily that the other two guys have. Uh, If he can be consistent in his delivery and mechanics to maximize his velocity, get the ball out quicker, throw it more on a rope, let's say, uh, get more loft on it. If he can do all that, then that's going to give him the best possible chance to win that job. I think for Max Johnson he he's going to have to speed up his you know can he speed up his delivery a little bit? Uh, he's a tall guy. He's angular, so things happen more slowly for a bigger quarterback, just simply because they're just a bigger guy and it takes longer for everything to happen. Uh, you know, at LSU, he didn't get a lot of great protection, and you know, there wasn't just, you know, offensive line wasn't where it needed to be. But also, they you know, a lot of times, they look, they just didn't have <laughs> they didn't have anybody blocking for him in the backfield. Everybody went out on the routes. So while he's able – he's a big, strong guy and able to take those hits, you don't necessarily want him taking as many hits as he did at LSU. You want him getting the ball out faster. So I think that's going to be key for him. I I think for those three guys, whoever can overcome their weaknesses the most, the perceived weaknesses the most, is going to be the guy that winds up with the starting job.
0: When you look at this offense overall, one of the knocks of the past few seasons for Jimbo Fisher in, in the passing game in particular is um, the lack of a vertical threat, you know, explosiveness in the passing game because everything else for AM has sort of been building in the right direction, talking about defensive production, talking about the running game, talking about, you know, maybe the offensive line ticket was, was a bit shaky last season. But um, you know, is, is that something you think Jimbo is addressing? Does he, is, is he aware of the fact that, that maybe that's that's something that this team needs to take the next step is that explosive passing? Or, or what do you think is the difference between this team competing offensively with the likes of Alabama, you know, with the likes of Georgia, and still or still kind of being in that second tier on offense?
1: I think he's understands that they need to get more speed on offense in order to generate more chunk plays. He's, he's talked about that in his first few years on campus. He's made a concerted – effort to do this by going out and landing probably the best receiving core uh, in the country in that 2022 class for all the attention that's been brought on to the defensive line crop, uh, basically a two deep uh, up front that they brought in in 2022. Uh, the receiving core, Evan Stewart's a very, very dynamic player. You know, one of the things about this twenty twenty two class is you, you watched him in the spring, the early enrollees, and you just kind of sit there and go, "Wow, they hadn't had a guy like that." Uh, not just during Fisher's tenure, but going back a long, long time. Evan Stewart's a guy that they just haven't had on campus. He he's not just fast; he's just really, really fluid. He can change direction at the at the drop of a hat. <laughs> Uh, he's a guy that in the spring game they specifically made him an effort, made an effort to get him the ball. In fact, they worked him at at the X, which is a receiver receiving spot where you get a, you know you you get that guy downfield. But he's also unlike the Z, you're going to target him more near the line of scrimmage. You're going to run some close-in routes more, and they've got him in a position where they can get him the ball near the line of scrimmage and and hopefully. Get it to him in space where he can make things happen. He had seven receptions, just seventy-five yards in the spring game. But the fact of the matter is, he led everybody in receptions in the spring game. They they made an effort to get him the football, and the and he's been working hard in the offseason. He wants to be really good, really, really badly. Uh, you know, we'll see because of his frame. He still hadn't filled out his frame, but he's a type of guy that when you look at the people at Alabama has been trotting out there, they can take a five-yard pass and go 75 yards. He's that kind of guy, and they really haven't had that kind of guy uh, probably since uh, I, I would say Christian Kirk left after the 2017 season. Yes. Uh, the, other, the other guys, uh, Chris Marshall, he might need some time, but he's a, he's a tall guy, adjusted the ball really well in the air. Uh, He can get downfield in a hurry. Noah Thomas is, you know, he, he, it's funny. Here's a guy who's almost forgotten about, and he's a four-star. He's a big target, but he's got more quicks, more suddenness, more juice to his game than you would expect for a guy who's six foot four and, and, and has some, already has some mass to his front. So, Fisher understands that he needs to do more in the passing game. He's gone out and recruited those guys. Uh, he, you know, he, he brought in Max Johnson, who is a big guy who can get the ball down the field, which is something that a and also kind of lacked. Uh, you know, I, I think another thing is, is that in, in going back to what we saw last year, I think great things are expected out of Trey Zune, who's a, a second-year guy who's going to be manning the left tackle spot. He's a kid from Colorado who didn't play a lot last year, but they're very, very high on him. Uh, A&M's protection as a whole, because they started two freshmen and because they had so many injuries and had so much turmoil up front, they never really got to the level of proficiency as per pass protectors that you would like to see. Hopefully for A&M, that changes this season with Zune on one side, and then Reuben Fothery, who's a monster on the other side, 6'7, six, 6'8, six, 320 pounds, played basketball in high school, can move. If AM can get those two to perform at a higher level than what was going on last season, and they should be able to do that with more experience across the board, you know, Bryce Foster, true freshman at center, he's expected to be. Uh, much, much better than he was last year, and he was pretty solid last year as a true freshman starting at possibly the toughest position on the offensive line. So if they can get the type of protection that they were lacking last year, and if they can get some of those freshmen to make the types of chunk plays that they've been missing in the past, then yes, I think you'll see a higher caliber passing game, especially down the field than what you've seen out of the Aggies in recent years.
0: I wanted to kind of blend this question between number one, the defense overall this season and kind of the expectations for them. But number two, you you've mentioned this 2022 class a few times for those who haven't been paying attention. um, Texas A&M's 2022 recruiting class is the best of all time in terms of an overall um, rating talking about those defensive linemen in particular, four different (laughs) five-star defensive linemen. Um, I believe they had six top 100 defensive linemen in that class. So, when you look at guys, obviously, we are talking about Evan Stewart. He seems like he might be an instant impact five-star freshman. In terms of this class on defense, does it does it feel like this is going to be immediately they're going to feel the effects of this, or is this, hey, let's get this class in right now, and we feel like in two years, maybe they can be competing for a, for a national championship, that kind of thing. Just what are your expectations for, like you talked about, a two-deep of five-star defensive linemen coming in this class and how they affect this defense overall? People talk about the 2022 recruiting class, but the thing is A&M's brought in
1: three consecutive top-ten rated classes in the 24-7 sports composite. It's not like they don't have talent on campus right now. There's a couple of guys, uh, one of whom didn't play in the spring game, that are going to be and could very well be impact players this upcoming season. You've got Shamar uh, Turner, who's a five-star defensive tackle out of DeSoto, Texas, Played some as a freshman last year. Very quick, very very strong. Kind of like Evan Stewart. Wants to be really good, really really badly. He's going to be someone who's six foot three, three hundred pounds. Gets a lot of push. He's not going. He's not necessarily a nose. He's more of a three tech. But he's a guy that you're going to have to account for. He plays hard on every down. Um, and uh, Tumisi Adelaide, who is a four star from the Houston area didn't play hardly at all as a freshman in the spring he had everybody paying a lot of attention to him he's got a big base he's got a big base uh he's explosive he's strong in his upper body like turner is so that when you try to go straight at him uh, he's you're not going to move him off the line of scrimmage on the other hand he's athletic enough to where he's going to get upfield and he's relentless enough as a football player that he's going to chase you down from behind. He's going to be uh, the guy who you look for at that, you know, field or or five-tech end. I think those two guys are going to be really, really good. They're they're waiting on McKinley Jackson, uh, who was a four-star out of Mississippi two years ago, to kind of grow in that nose tackle role. A&M played some other players at that spot last year. He started only four games. I think bigger things are expected out of him. Fadil Diggs, who is a four-star out of the Northeast, he's long, he's lanky, he's kind of like former AM defensive end Deshaun Hall. Those are the guys that you expect to see start this season and, and get the most snaps. But if you're looking to the freshmen to get into the rotation, to spell those guys, to – Play it even, you know, to, to have an athleticism that's even maybe a tick above some of the attributes that the four guys I mentioned have. Uh, you know, you're, you're looking at a guy like Gabriel Brown Lodendi. I mean, AM just hadn't had a guy with his kind of get off in a long, long time. Uh, he's maybe ever. He's just really, really quick off the football. Walter Nolan is the nose tackle from Tennessee, five star. Uh, he's he slimmed down. He's he get. he's putting on good weight. He's, he's got the get off of a much smaller guy and yet in a package that is 325, 330 pounds. Of course, there's some Mar Stewart who just you know, he's, doesn't look like a freshman. He's got an 80 inch wingspan. He's six, He's already 270, 280 pounds. Play, again, plays like a smaller guy, but in a, he's, you know, in a big body. So, I think the expectation is is that those guys are going to contribute this year. They're going to work their way into the rotation. And understand something: Aiden's recruited well enough. It's not going to be easy for them to work their way into the rotation. Uh, Anthony Luke, Lucas, who was a uh, a, four, a high four star uh, early enrollee from Arizona, had a really really good spring. He's a guy that it, it, you know he almost almost kind of skinny at, at six foot four and three hundred pounds had a really nice spring. He's athletic. Uh, he's just scratching the surface of what he can do. I, I think one of the things you're going to see with this group talking about, I don't, I don't think everybody's, ex- I think the anticipation is about the 2022 class with regarding the defensive linemen, is that while it might take a year for them to get reps and, and get themselves where they need to be physically, 2023 is the target date. Because you look at some of the guys that AM's brought in in the past, like Marvin Leal. Leal, Started half a dozen games his, his freshman year, learned the ropes. His second year, he was one of the best defensive linemen in the Southeastern Conference. I think that's where the expectations are, is that 2023, this group's going to be really, really good. And they're going to key that run that everybody's been thinking that a and was finally going to make under Fisher to a national title run with all of the talent they've been assembling.
0: So, looking at this season in particular, um, one of the reasons at Media Days I had no, no question about putting Texas AM number two in the West was because I really like the way this, I'm curious to get your thoughts on their schedule. I like the way it plays out a lot. Um, you know, as SEC schedules go, especially in the West, everybody's got a tough one because if you're not Alabama, you have to play Alabama. And then, you know, the LSUs and the Old Misses and the Arkansas of the world and Auburn, of course, are always, always going to be tricky. And There's always a lot of talent there. But to me, this schedule looks like, pretty clearly separated into two halves you've got a a difficult start at the beginning obviously hosting Miami it's not going to be super easy I do like for A&M they don't leave um, the state of Texas until October that's their first true road game in season against Mississippi State obviously they go at Alabama but really Jeff you look at it it's separated by that bye week on October 15th and then from there I mean South Carolina on the road that's you know of course not gonna be easy but you get Ole Miss and Florida both at home Auburn again that's tough but Texas A&M should be favored in that situation. And then you get two home games to close things out. So to me, it looks like it's going to be important how Texas A&M starts here in terms of kind of setting up a base of 10 wins this season, because I really, really like the way that back half of the schedule works out for them. Just kind of where are you hovering around in terms of what you're projecting them to do this fall? And what do you think about various spots of the schedule this year?
1: I thought this was a 10 win team last year, even though kind of new going in. They were probably going to. They had four new starters on the offensive line. They were going to have a new quarterback. I thought that they could, you know, that they could compensate for that with the defense playing at a high level and still being able to run the football and just well enough to win to win games, win enough games. Problem was uh, the injuries just really not only reduced the talent level, but also the experience. Uh, They never had a sense of continuity uh, on offense. And it really came to fruition late in games and in in third downs or or passing downs. When you know, you know the feeling when your offense just can't get the ball down the field and you're like, man, uh, you know, this just, this is just really, really hard. Uh, I think this year, yeah, they're missing. I think eleven guys by by my count that that have signed NFL contracts. They're going to be really young in certain spots, but again, they've they've recruited really really well. Uh, they're going to be good on both lines this year. It may take a little while for the defensive line to get the reps to play at a high level, but they're going to be really really good. Secondary is just loaded. I, I, I put up some VIP notes this morning, and somebody people are like, "Well, what about this guy? What about this guy?" I'm like, "Hey." you know, when you've got all when you when you stacked as many four and five stars as AM has in the secondary, and not only that, you've got a ton of people with with multiple starts back there. You know, somebody's just not gonna play. That doesn't mean they're not a good football player. They're just not gonna play. Uh and I think the same thing is is true this season. Uh I, I think overall this They're probably more balanced than they were last year. They may not be quite as good defensively from a talent level. They've really reached an apex last year from a talent experience level on defense. Injuries undid undid part of that. From a scheduling standpoint, I think it's broken up in three segments. You've got Sam Houston, Appalachian State, Miami to open the season. All three are winnable. All three are at home. Uh, Should get A&M off to a good start. Not an easy schedule by any stretch of the imagination, but you're going to pick a in all three of those games. After that, they're actually away from Kyle Field for Arkansas, Mississippi State, Alabama, South Carolina. So they don't come home again for, for five weeks. If you're going to go 10-2, and two, you've got to split it. You've got to at least split those games. And I think that on the surface, a and is going to be favored, favored in all of those except the Alabama game. Uh, the Arkansas game isn't going to be easy. Uh, I think the loss of Traylon Burks is pro- although I think the loss of Traylon Burks is going to be an issue for Arkansas. Mississippi State playing in, playing in Starkville, always a difficult place for A&M to play over the years. Uh, Alabama's Alabama. South Carolina is going to be better. I don't think a going to be up 44 to nothing at the end of three quarters like they were last year. So you you're conf, you're counting on A&M to at least split those games i think again depending on how the how the first few games shake out a&m could be favored in three of those games and finally the closing run like you said you get florida at home you get umass at home you get lsu at home auburns on the road but you know let's be charitable here and say that looking at auburn this season this is not the same cast of characters that auburn had in previous years. So from a standpoint, there's a roadmap to going 10 and two. I think that middle stretch when they're away from Kyle field is going to determine whether they do that or not. However, with every, with the improvements they've made to what were weak points last year, receiver, quarterback, offensive line, as well as the fact that they're reloading, not rebuilding on defense. I think that's very, very doable. And I think even 11 and one's doable. They've just, they've, you know, can they have better luck on the injury front this season than last year? I don't think it could get any worse. I've been following AM for half a century. I've never seen anything like last year from an injury standpoint. It was absolutely catastrophic, just catastrophic.
0: Yeah. And in terms of a floor, they were still able to go eight and four last season. So like you talked about that sort of sort of shows the recruiting development over the past few seasons and just kind of the talent level. This team has been able to garner and obviously they're, they're a well-coached team on, on both sides of the ball too. And so it seems like they can, like you said, get healthy, get everybody back in the spots. They're supposed to be while continuing to add top recruits and a schedule that like you said, has, has portions of it that play out pretty well. It's definitely double digit wins should be the, uh, the standard for this team. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm sure our listeners really um, enjoyed that one. I know they're all interested. Texas A&M is one of those teams that, you know, we've been hearing about for a while. When are they going to take that next step? And it seems like 2022 might be the time, might be, might be a year later, but Auburn obviously is happy to get them inside Jordan-Hare Stadium. And I think at that point in November, obviously we'll know a bunch about both teams and uh, we'll see if both teams are going in different directions or if that game allows Auburn to get eight or nine wins, if Texas A&M is on the fringe of 10 wins at that point. Should be a really good one there um, on November in week 11. So thank you so much to Jeff. You guys go check out all their Texas A&M coverage, gigum247.com. Of course, the next episode will be with Western Kentucky, and then it'll be the Iron Bowl right after that, and then we'll be getting into fall camp. So thank you guys so much for listening. Leave us a five-star review if you guys enjoyed it. That's the number one thing that helps us out. The intro and outro music is by Beats by Mordecai. You guys can follow him on Twitter, SoundCloud, and Instagram. And until the next episode, we will catch you guys later. Everybody have a great rest. Of